and out loud, you get a blessing. So we're going to read verse 8 together. Here we go. You ready? Jesus, I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. So that's the pattern we're following. We're gonna, we see that the scriptures tell us a Savior would be born, so it was, so it is, and so it will be that Jesus saves. So we're going to take part of the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2 this morning. It's the shepherds. Uh, the birth of Jesus has now taken place that evening. The shepherds are in their field. And so we're going to pick up in verse number 8, and it says this. In the same region there where baby Jesus was born, shepherds were staying out in the fields and they were keeping watch at night over their flock. Here's something very interesting for you to consider. We're going to see in a few moments that Jesus is called the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You know who these shepherds were and you know who their flocks were? Their flocks were the sheep that were being prepared and taken care of for the temple sacrificial offerings that would take place. These were the shepherds in what is called the shepherd's field just outside of Bethlehem. They're the sheep that were in there were the ones being groomed and prepared to become the sacrifice. How fitting in the sovereignty of God that, that the Lamb of God would be born in that same field and attended by those same shepherds. Isn't that awesome? Anybody get a little Holy Ghost doodads up your spine when you, when you hear it? I mean, it's exciting, isn't it? God is so sovereign. So in those same regions, shepherds were there in their fields, keeping watch at night over, it's not their flock, it's God's flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Our key today is that word, Savior. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so we have the proclamation that a Savior would be born. So it was said and so it was. Here's your first truth. Your Savior was born. Just over 2,000 years ago, Jesus was the Savior who was born in Bethlehem. You see, celebration of Christmas is not about lights, ribbon, and a guy with a chubby guy who fell with a reindeer and a big beard. The glory of Christmas that makes it worth celebrating is that the Savior of the world has come into our existence. Now, if that doesn't get you somewhat excited, you need to understand the importance of why a Savior had to be born for us. You see, our greatest need is not information. As Max Licato has said, if our greatest need was information, God would have given us an educator. If our greatest need was technology, he would have given us a great scientist. If our greatest need was money, he would have given us a great economist. But because our greatest need is forgiveness of sin, he gave us a savior. 
You ever get something for Christmas, a gift for Christmas that you just really, you didn't want, you didn't need, and you probably re-gifted? Just come on, let's be honest in the house. The best gifts are the gifts you can need, that you need and you can use, right? That somehow make life better in a way. God knew what we needed. So he gave us a Savior. doesn't make sense to our natural mind that the Son of God would come and have to die on a cross, such a cruel death. makes no sense to our human mind, but that's who we needed because we need forgiveness. Let me me help you understand this this morning a little better. We need Jesus because we have all sinned and fall short of God's glory. We are born with it, my friends. From the moment Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden and God removed his spirit from them, we have all been born under the curse of sin. You say why the virgin birth of Jesus was important? Because the bloodline of man was bypassed one time. One time. And Jesus could be purified from sin and could be that sacrifice for us. So we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages or the payoff or the penalty of that sin is death. Now let's keep in mind the word death means separation. We're talking about spiritual death, which means spiritually separated from God for eternity. We needed Jesus then because our forgiveness requires the shedding of blood. In Hebrews we read, there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. The only way Adam and Eve, uh, naked before God, could come out from behind the bush and stand before God with their sin and their shame was that God killed an animal in the garden. He took the hide of an animal in the garden and covered their, their sin. Life for life. So if sin produces death, Life is going to be taken. Jesus became the substitute for us. So Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And everyone who calls on the Lamb of God, the name of Jesus, will be saved. Because Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life that leads back to a relationship to God the Father. That's why we need a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior who has been born for us. These verses all make it clear why we need a Savior. One who can rescue us from the curse of sin and eternal separation from God, and one that takes the punishment of sin for us and from us that we may spend eternity with our Father in heaven. We need a Savior, and so God gave us Jesus. The second truth in this morning is it was said, and so it is, that Jesus is saving you even now. Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago to become the once and final for all sacrifice. Animal sacrifices are no longer necessary because the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, was shed one time for the sin of all mankind. For your sin, for my sin. But he continues 2,000 years later. To save us. It was said and so it is. Jesus is saving you now. It's estimated. That today. About 5,000 people. Will call on the name of Jesus. To receive forgiveness of their sin. It's estimated that around the world. On an annual basis. More than 2 million people. Call on the name of Jesus. In our generation to be saved. 
There's so many of us in this room. At some point, we were one of those on a day where we called out on the name of Jesus. So Jesus saves today, but Jesus is continually saving you. He's continually saving you. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, you've repented of your sin, you have chosen to to let Jesus be Lord of your life, and you've chosen to follow him, then he has saved you from your sin. He, he, your, his, his punish, the punishment given to him that was supposed to be for you has now delivered you from the curse of sin and given you new life. You're saved from that curse of sin by your faith in Christ Jesus. That's a one-time event. That's instantaneous. The moment you put your faith in Jesus that he died for your sin and you can't do anything for your sin except trust his sacrifice... You're born again. And when you're born again, you're given new life. That's instantaneous. If you did that this morning when Pastor Daniel prayed, if you opened up your heart and in some sincere fashion and and as simple as it was, you said, Jesus, I am a sinner and I can't save myself, but I believe you died to save me from my sin. Come into my heart. Be Lord of my life. I, I give myself to you. Then you're as saved as you will ever be. If you walked out of these doors this morning and, and, and Lord forbid, something happened and you were taken from this earth, you would be in the presence of Jesus. For the Word of God says, for a believer to be absent from the body is to, to be with the Lord in His presence. Because you're saved. But many people stop right there. Many Christians stop at that. But yet Jesus is in the continual process of Saving you. It's called sanctification in the scriptures. Let me, let me help you understand. So salvation, your salvation experience, being born again, getting new life into you through His Spirit is instantaneous. It happens in a moment. It brings you from spiritual death into spiritual life. Sanctification is a progressive work. Sanctification is what it's an ongoing process where Jesus is working in you to overcome sin and to live a holy life. You see, some people say, Well, I I I can't I can't accept Christ into my heart because I know He's gonna want me to, to stop this and stop that and do this and do that. And and I don't think I can do that. And I think as soon as I walk out those church doors, I will sorely disappoint Jesus right away. Well, let me tell you, friends, your salvation is not based on your works. I want to make sure you understand that because we're talking about works, but we're talking about works after we have believed on the work of Jesus. Jesus did the work. He paid the price on the cross for our sin. But then he is now in process of working that salvation out in us. So salvation is is new birth. Sanctification is growth, right? I mean, we don't want our babies to stay babies, right? And then they grow up too fast. I thought about uh, this morning having the kids introduce themselves because it's always kind of fun. But then I remembered we put a stop to that about 20 years ago when our son Tanner was three and, and they were given the opportunity and a microphone to introduce themselves. And all the sweet little kids were... Hi, I'm Ashley. I'm Cameron. I'm Promise. And then Tanner walks up. 
I'm Tanner Peepee Head. And he said it in the loudest voice he could ever say it. So at that point, we have stopped doing introductions of the children. Thank you to my son, Tanner. But we don't want our babies to stay babies. They've got to grow. They've got to, they've got to develop physically and emotionally and mentally. And, 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 and so we have to do the same spiritually when we're born again. And so that's the process of sanctification. Jesus is still working in you. Are you perfect? Absolutely not. Ask your spouse or your children. You're not perfect. And sanctification doesn't mean you won't sin and fall short from time to time. What it means is, though, you are still in the process. People ask the question, can I, uh, can I backslide and still be saved? Well, let me, let me, that's the wrong question. Because you've already set yourself up for failure. You're already leaving a door open that if this doesn't work out, me and Jesus, we're still good. The better question is this. Can I be saved by Jesus and never backslide? And the answer is yes, a million times yes. Does it mean you won't sin from time to time? You will. That's the sanctification process. There will be some things that come up and Jesus, you all of a sudden realize, wow, I shouldn't have done that or where did that attitude come from? What was the root of that? And Jesus says, here's what it was. Now let me help you overcome it. But you see, the difference between backsliding and, 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 and sinning from time to time is that backsliding becomes an attitude and a state of existence that I don't care anymore, that I'm removing myself from the process. But you stay in the process of being sanctified. Jesus is still at work. Let me give you a scripture reference for that. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. Now watch this. So he says we're, it's like we're looking in a mirror, and, and what do you see? When you look in a mirror, you see your image. But what he's saying here is spiritually we look in this spiritual mirror, and we see Jesus, but we still look like this. But the reflection coming back is Jesus. And watch what he says. Looking in a mirror as to the glory of the Lord and are being, watch this, being transformed. As you look toward Jesus and you see Jesus and you see this, over time and in the process of sanctification, this starts to look more like that. That's what Jesus is doing in you right now. You may feel frustrated that you're not growing. Jesus is working. Now, now, now line up with him in the process because he is transforming you from glory to glory. Being transformed into the same image from glory to to glory. That's what Jesus is doing in you right now. Can we be saved and not backslide? Absolutely. Here's another scripture for you. Philippians 2, therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear. Don't work for your salvation. Live out and be sanctified in the process of salvation. For it is God, watch this, it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Catch that. How can you be saved and never backslide? Because God is for you. God is in your corner. God is standing at work in you. He is working in you to work out his will. He didn't just save you by your faith in Christ and then say, okay, good luck. 
Hope you make it. Hope I see you one day up here. No, he made a huge investment. And when he made that investment, he puts his hands on his investment. And he's going to make sure there's a return for the investment. He's going to work in you to do his will. He's going to change your desires, those things you wrestle with. And you say, man, I know that's not pleasing to God. He's going to work to change those things if you'll give him that opportunity. If you'll take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. His journey will be a process of changing you more into the image of Jesus Christ. So it was said Jesus, the Savior, was born. So it is that Jesus is saving us even now. And so it has been said and so it will be. Jesus will return to save you for all of eternity. He is coming again. Hebrews chapter 9 says this, And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this face judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, because he did that the first time. No, when he appears the second time, it will be to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Anybody in the house waiting? Waiting for Jesus to come? He says he will come again. And bring salvation to those who are, well, wait a minute, we're already saved. Oh, he's going to save us from all that is now to transpire after his second coming. You see, everyone, everyone on the face of the earth, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, everybody, including you and your, your holy, righteous grandmother and grandfather, you and me, we will all face a judgment in eternity. There will be two judgments. We will be at one of those two. One of them, you are striving to arrive today, or well, <laughs> hopefully not today, but uh, who knows. But you are striving to be at one of them, and you are for certain not wanting to be at the other one. Let me, let me just take a moment. You say, well, pastor, you really got to talk about this because the kids were so cute. Yes, they were. <laughs> they, we got to talk truth. Jesus came the first time. Are we going to blow off the second time? No, I'm not. Because as sure as he came the first time, there's still words that say he's coming again. And I believe he's going to fulfill those. And here is what we have to be aware of. So there are these two judgments. The first one is called the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers. Those who have believed on the Lord Jesus before they died or before the rapture of the church. We've talked about that already. takes place. Believers stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It happens after the rapture and before that millennial reign of Christ. It happens while we're with Jesus after the rapture and the tribulation seven years is happening down here. Why do we stand before the judgment seat of Christ if we've already, if our judgment of our sin has already been paid for by Jesus? Well, we're not standing there to be judged for our sin. We're standing there to be judged according to what we did with our lives after he saved us and redeemed us. See, we're not saved by works, but we are to be working for the Lord after he has redeemed us. So he will test our works. Paul tells it this way. He says that, that our works will be tested by fire. And if it's wood, hay, and stubble, it'll burn. If it's precious jewels and, 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 of, and that, it will endure the fire and last forever. Bottom line is, our motives for what we do with our life after Jesus saves us will be judged. 
Now, will anybody at the judgment seat of Christ be cast into the lake of fire, eternity? No. Nobody at the judgment seat of Christ is cast into the lake of fire. That happens later, and that is for those who have yet been risen from the dead. I know you're all looking at me like, dude, pastor, this needs to be like a seminary class. Okay, so I'm trying to make it as simple as I can. So, so here's the judgment seat of Christ. You're going to, you're, you're, you're born again. So first, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us about this. Paul is writing to Christians and he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. What did we do with the lives after Jesus saved us? That's the judgment seat of Christ. By the way, of the two, that's where you want to be. That's where you want to be. Because when you're ready for that one, you get raptured. Or you come out of the grave when Christ comes. Thessalonians, we've read it several times in the last few weeks already. But there's one more. There's one more judgment. And it's near the end of the book of Revelation as John is laying out the vision God has given him and he sees what happens at the coming of Christ and then the tribulation and then after the tribulation. And the, the, this one is called the great white throne judgment. And this is the one you don't want to be at. This is the one Jesus died to keep you out of. But it says here, Revelation 20, verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. This is after the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years. I also saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Who are the dead? Okay, think about this. When Jesus comes and the rapture happens and the, those who were born again that went by way of the grave, their graves are emptied, that body comes out of the grave, God connects their spirit back with their body and they are in a glorified, you will be in a glorified state. But who doesn't come out of the grave at the time of the rapture? Those who died apart from Christ. Their resurrection now happens after the 1,000 year reign of Jesus it says, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So that's the great white throne judgment. That's where God, sitting on his throne, holds us accountable, holds mankind accountable. I don't plan on being there. Holds mankind accountable for the rebellion to his righteousness. Now, my job is not easy. I realize how cute the kids were today, and I'm talking about hell. So it's not an easy job, but there's good news. You say, what a harsh and unfair God. No, let me, let me remind you, the scriptures are very clear. God is just. Every single person will be judged by the exact same measure. There will be no favoritism. There will only be, what did you do with the truth of my son Jesus when I sent him to you? That's it. And God will, that, that will be the measuring line that God uses. 
You say, well, okay, so maybe he's fair, but man, that's harsh. Well, not really, because you see the, the whole purpose of this message, the whole purpose of the kids presenting the gospel today was that Jesus gives, or God gives us the way. He gives us the way to avoid that moment. It's his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Who, if I will believe on him, I will be saved from that great white throne judgment. And I will be with him forever. That's the gospel. That's where this all goes. Until the first coming of Jesus, prophets told about it. The people of Israel were looking for it. But nobody knew when it was going to happen and nobody most people didn't catch it when it did happen. There will be no question when Jesus returns at the second coming. Paul tells us the first part of that second coming will include a loud trumpet call and a huge voice of the archangel declaring that Jesus is here. So it won't be a little baby in a manger. We read it a few weeks ago. Jesus comes on a white horse. His tongue is the sword of the word. And he has King of Kings and Lord of Lords written on his garment. He was wrapped up in a nice, tight little piece of cloth the first time. The second time, that cloth is waving in the air, and he's got it on his robe. He's been marked King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's not unfair and he's not unjust. He gives you the opportunity today because you heard the message. So from this point forward, I hate to do this to you, but you will never be able to tell God you didn't know. You won't have an excuse. You have a decision to make. That's, that's it. You see, the, the shepherds ran to, to see this thing. They had to make a decision. They chose to go and see. They didn't have to. They could just believe the angels. Woo, okay, we'll be. We got to feed these sheep. Something compelled them to go look. When they looked, they saw. When they saw, they believed, and when they believed, they went and told others about this glorious event that had just happened. You see, the shepherds were convinced. Wouldn't you be? Well, us hopefully would be. <laughs> we're people. Can 2020 prove to us anymore that people can be fickle? You would think after glorious angels and then it all coming to pass that you would believe, but there will be those who still, who still don't. There will be people in the tribulation who see millions of people translated from this life and gone who hear about what that event was and will still choose not to believe. So they looked, they moved, and they were convinced. Let me just ask you this this morning. Can you honestly say this morning that you are convinced Jesus is the Son of God? I'm not asking if you can explain. I'm just asking you, are you convinced Jesus is the Son of God? Are you convinced that he died for your sin? Are you convinced that he rose from the dead? Not that you could explain it, but do you believe it? And are you convinced that Jesus is living in you right now?